You missed me, didn't you? There you go, yes. That was an amazing song, I Am Redeemed. I love that song. Well, it's so good to be here this morning. How are you guys doing? Okay, simmer down, front row. All right. I was supposed to preach a few weeks ago, and I was under the weather, and Pastor Damon was out of town, and so I called Pastor David and said, hey, could you fill in for me? And he did, and I was so appreciative of that. And the next couple weeks when I came back to church, several of you came up to me, and you said, uh, hey, I hope you're feeling better. We, you were in our thoughts and prayers, and I really appreciate that. For those of you, I wasn't in your thoughts and prayers. Well, that's okay, because you weren't in my thoughts and prayers either, all right? Just so, just so we're even, right? That's just how I feel. Uh, this will date me a little bit. How many of you remember the cassette tape players? There's a lot of you. So back in the day, you know, cassette tape players were the big thing. And my dad used to love to listen to motivational speakers. And so he got this cassette tape player that when you put the tape in, you could adjust how fast or slow it would go. And one was normal speed. And then you could, you know, 1.25, 1.5. You could get it all the way up so you couldn't even understand it. But he would put it about 1.5 speed, and of course you knew the speaker was speaking faster, but your ears and brain could pick up on the extra speed, you could track with it, and so he could listen to the tapes faster. The reason I share that is uh, when I get ready to preach, I'm going to be at 1.5 speed. I just want you to know that. Every time I preach on a Sunday, people say two things to me. Jeff, we really love your energy, great energy, but there's always a but, right? But you speak so fast. Could you slow down? And my response is no. All right? I can't. The energy and the speed are the same thing. And here's why. I've been working with students for 25 years. They have an attention span of about 16 to 18 minutes. So when I preach on Wednesday night, I've got 16 minutes to say Jesus. Okay? So I'm just going. And so when I get in here, that's about that speed. So I just need to encourage you. Tell your ears and your brain right now, I'm going to listen at 1.5 speed. Because if you have a lull... I'll be on point four, and you're like, I thought it was just on point one. I covered point two and three, but I'm already past those points, okay? So just, just hang with me. So are you buckled up and ready to go? Yeah. All right, here we go. Here we go. So six or seven weeks ago, I was traveling to Michigan. That's where my in-laws live. Some people don't like their in-laws. I do like my in-laws. And every summer, my family goes up there, and my wife has two sisters, Beth and Emily, and their families all go to Michigan, and so we all meet at the same house, and there's like 21, 22 people in the same house. Is there anybody else who does that, like big families all get together, and everybody's in the same house? Yeah, so we do that, and you know, the first three or four days, it's great, and it's like, okay, a lot of people here. And so we're up there, we're having a good time, and my sister-in-law, Beth, lives about a half an hour away from my in-laws, and she just said, let's do some events at my house. So that's great. So... Uh, we got in the car, and I had the handy-dandy GPS on my phone. Don't worry, I've turned my phone off, because there's some of you in this room who would call me right in the middle of my service. You know what I'm saying? And you, and you know who you are, front row, all right, uh, type thing. And so, um, anyway, so I got the GPS, and we get to my sister-in-law's house. That's great. We come home. I'm using the GPS. After a couple times of going there, on the last time we were coming home, I said, I don't need the GPS. You know where this is going, right? So, uh, you know... First turn, I'm good. Second turn, I'm good. Third turn, I'm good. Fourth turn, I missed the fourth turn. And as I'm driving down the road, I'm like, I don't remember these houses. I don't remember that barn. I don't remember this field. So I pulled over and checked the GPS. I was on this road, and I was supposed to be on this road. I was running parallel to, on the wrong road. And I was like, what's the fastest way to get to the correct road? And it was two miles. There's this road, just two miles this way. But that, that road was a dirt gravel road that had potholes the size of craters on the moon. 
And so I had to drive like 10 miles an hour over two miles to finally get to the correct road. And as I was doing that, I was thinking about our spiritual lives. Isn't that what it's like? We, we're following Jesus, we're following his GPS, and then we're like, I got this God, and then we're on the wrong road, and then we have to try to get back on the right road. We're doing this series called Cages, Cages and Chains, and they asked me, do they want me to bring the cage out so I could get in it? And I said, no, because you guys will lock me in there. All right, we know that would happen, right? So, but you know, here's what happens. All of us start out in cages, spiritual cages, because all of us have a, a sinful, fallen nature. And I know our society says everybody's good by nature. I hate to burst the bubble here, but we're not good by nature. We're created in the image of God. We have the divine spark in us. He gave us a conscience. Human beings are capable of doing good things, great things, amazing things, selfless things, to sacrifice ourselves. But by our nature, we're not good. We are sinful and selfish. And I know that goes against the grain. But if we really are good, if all seven and a half billion people on planet Earth are good, I have two questions for you. The first question is this. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He was dying for sinners, right? And if we're all good people on our way to heaven, he didn't need to die. He died on the cross because all of us are fallen, full of sin. And the second thing is this. If we're all good by nature, when you watch the news, do you get a sense that everything's good out there? Right. When you, when you go to bed at night, you're like, oh, I'm just, it's so great to live in this good world with all these good people, and I can't, wake up tomorrow, can't wait to wake up tomorrow for another great day. That's not how it is. We look at all the trouble in our world, and there's all this trouble because of sin and selfishness, and God came to redeem us. And so what happens is, when we find ourselves in that cage because of our own sinfulness, our own selfishness, Jesus comes along by the power of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us, and when we confess our sin and get right with God, we come out of the cage. And we were able to operate in freedom in his grace. But then normally what happens is we start walking with Christ and that independent American spirit, I can do it on my own, rises up. And we try to start doing it on our own. And what ends up happening is we end up going back in the cage of our own volition. In fact, Paul writes about this in Galatia, in Galatians. And here's what he, the scripture says. Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, the church in Galatia walked out of the cage of sin and followed Christ, only get caught up in legalism, perfectionism, which I call control. It's all about having control. Legalism is setting rules and trying to do everything just right, and we want to be in control. Paul addresses this decision and calls it foolishness. Are you now so foolish? The religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and Sadducees, were caught up in rule-keeping. And let me just pause here to, to focus on this for a second. In the Old Testament, God gave the Jewish people laws and commands to follow. Well, that's great. By the time it got to Jesus, the religious leaders had written 600-plus more laws. And so everybody was just bogged down with rule-keeping. And one of the rules in the Old Testament was you, shan't, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath. Well... The leaders interpreted that as you can't do anything good on the Sabbath. And so that's why when Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, they don't celebrate the man's healing, but criticize him for working on the Sabbath. And in different ways today, we can get caught up in legalism, perfectionism, control. So today I want to spend the next few moments talking about the difference between liberating grace, which we find in Jesus Christ, and stifling perfectionism. And if you don't like that word perfectionism, you can also say control. I was thinking about this college class, it was a photography class, and 
the professor stood up on the first day and he called the students in. He, he t had one half of the class over here, the other over here. He said, okay, this half of the class, your final assignment is you have to turn in 500 photos. They can be good photos, bad photos, it, just 500 photos. I want quantity from you guys. This half, he said, you're final. I just need one picture, but it has to be a really good picture, high quality picture. Of course, the other sides are grown. And we got to take 500 pictures. They only have to take one picture. So at the end of the semester, each group turns in their pictures. Which group do you think had the better pictures? It's okay. It's not a trick. What, what do you think? What's that? That's right. The group that had turned 500 because they were doing it over and over again. They took a lot of bad pictures, but then they got an eye for it. They, they understood what was happening. They had the freedom to learn how to grow in that. Stifling perfectionism doesn't allow that freedom. You see, the problem with stifling perfectionism is threefold. One, it defeats my initiative. The group that was looking for the perfect picture couldn't get out of their starting block because they were so worried about not getting the perfect picture. When we get caught up in legalism, perfectionism, control, we are strangled by the reality that we are going to mess up. And that's why some say, why should I bother to follow Christ? I've got so many issues. In fact, there's a scripture that talks about that mentality. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. That's how some people approach it. Perfectionism takes the fear of failure and turns it into a reality. Not only does perfectionism defeat my initiative, it destroys my happiness. The joy of doing something is ruined by the pressure to get it exactly right. A few years ago, my wife purchased an Instapot. How many of you own an Instapot? My wife's an amazing cook, and she's made some incredible dishes in the Instapot. After watching her several times, I thought, you know what? I can make something in the Instapot. Now, I made something in the Instapot when she wasn't there, all right? This is for my own safety. And I started looking up, what can you make in the Instapot that's easy? Boiled eggs, hard-boiled eggs. It's one of the easiest things you can do. So there I am in the kitchen. I've got the, the heating element, the Instapot, the cup of water. I think it's called a trevet. I called it a glorified egg holder, a little metal thing you put in there. And then there's my eggs, and there's the lid to go on. And so I'm reading it, and they're like, pour a cup of water in, and then you put the trevet in, and then you put the eggs in, you put the lid on, you cook it up. So I take the water, and I pour it in the heating element. And there's little holes at the bottom and all the water runs out. My wife has a PhD in sarcasm. <laughs> I'm just saying, she does. Had she been there, she'd have been like, uh, Jeff, it's called an Instapot because the pot is a key part of what you're doing. So I laughed at myself because I messed up. I, I wiped up the water. Then I put the pot in the heating element. Oh, things are cooking now, right? Then I get a new cup of water, pour it in there, trevet, egg, seal it, cook it. Fifteen minutes later, however long, I vented it, put the eggs in the ice-cold water, peeled them, ate them. They were amazing. The thing is, I had given myself the freedom to mess up. And so when I did mess up, I kept on going. And so many times when we get caught up in control and perfectionism, we don't give ourselves the freedom in Christ to mess up. And so when we do mess up, we're just like, well, I'm just going to quit. See, it, it, it defeats my happiness. We're not perfect. 
In fact, here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 7.16. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? This might seem confusing at first. Doesn't God want us to be righteous? He does, but this, this describes trying to be perfect by our own strength. The reality is this. There was always a gap between the ideal and the real. See, the real, this is who you are. This is who you really are. You're trying to live for Jesus. This is who you really are. All your works, all your faults, good days, bad days. This is the ideal of wanting to be like Jesus. And in that process is God's grace. He knows you're trying to be like Jesus, but it's, it's a lot of work. And you need his help all the time. But stifling perfectionism attempts to narrow the gap, which kills our joy. And finally, stifling perfectionism damages my relationships. It damages my relationships. When Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother, Jesus says 70 times 7. Jesus isn't looking for an exact number, but to embrace the reality that none of us are perfect and that we need to extend grace and mercy to others continually. To have the ability to overlook an offense. Here's what the scripture says about that. Overlook an offense and bond a friendship. Fasten onto a slight and goodbye friend. Constantly critical friends become friendless. Let me repeat that. Constantly critical friends become friendless. Jesus invites us to take a different path. He wants us to relax in God's grace. And so we're going to go through this acronym, relax, and then we'll, we'll finish up. He wants us to relax in him. So all of us have probably watched a high-pressure game, Super Bowl, World Series, Stanley Cup Finals, NBA title, maybe a, a collegiate series, the Olympics. We watch these high-pressure games. And sometimes you hear the announcer talking about, for this player, they've never been at this playoff level, or they've never been in the big game, we're going to see how they perform. And sometimes some of those players, they underperform. They're pressing on too much. They're just, they're just trying so hard, and they can't relax. But then you see other players who've been to several playoffs, and they're used to this situation, and, and they're just able to relax. And, and it's like, hey, I can handle this. I know some of you probably don't like Tom Brady in this room, and that's okay. But I was thinking last year, not in the Super Bowl, but the game before the Super Bowl, they were playing Green Bay, and there was like 20 seconds left to go in the half. And t- uh, I think Tampa Bay was about on the 40-yard line of Green Bay. And I thought they were going to do a little dink pass over the middle, call a timeout, kick a field goal. Instead, they call a bomb to the, the end post. And Tom Brady drops back, delivers a perfect pass, catches it, touchdown right at the end there. I'm like, how, how was he able to do that in that much pressure right then? Because he's been there time and time again. Here's the thing with Jesus Christ, he's been there, done that. He's faced the greatest pressure on the day he gave his life. The devil thought he'd won, but on Sunday, he rose again from the grave. He, he had victory. And we're called to relax in him. Jesus wants us to relax in him. We are not a computer system, but unique individuals. Unique individuals to have a natural, organic, flexible relationship with Christ. And so as we relax in him, he wants us to realize nobody's perfect. It says this, everything has its limits except your commands. Psalm 119. God is perfect, Jesus is perfect, Holy Spirit is perfect, and God's word is perfect. Everything else is flawed. These flaws are not an excuse to sin, but an understanding of why we sin. All of us miss the mark with God, and we can't hit the mark without his help. How many of you know someone in your life, and they're not perfect? Try not to point at your spouse, you know, whoever, right? Right? We all know those people. 
And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about two words. One you're probably familiar with, the other one you may not be familiar with. The first one is amputation, and the second one is imputation. We're familiar with amputation, to cut off. All right? We're familiar with that. But imputation, in the biblical sense, means to add on. Something that we don't have is imputed to us. And so, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and we put our faith and trust in him, he imputes to us his righteousness. We don't have righteousness in ourselves. We can't do enough good things to earn our way to heaven. He imputes his righteousness. And when he does that, when we stand before God on judgment day, God doesn't see us. He sees Jesus in us. He sees his righteousness. None of us are perfect, and the only way we're going to be perfect is in and through Jesus Christ. Because Christ makes us righteous through him, we can go on to enjoy his unconditional love. 1 John 3, 1, one of my favorite verses. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I was thinking uh, about this and his love. You know, so many times I think we view God as, as this angry, like old curmudgeon in the sky. He's got a club in one hand and lightning bolts in the other, and he's ready to hit us or shock us. And God is certainly all-powerful, but he's also all-loving. He's a loving God. And when you fall, when you mess up, because you're not perfect, he's not looking to get you. He's looking to help you up and say, it's okay. I knew you were going to fall. I know you're human. I know you're going to mess up. Let's get up. Let's repent. And let's move forward. And I want you to enjoy my unconditional love. On my uh, Fitbit watch, it's synced to my phone. And they have this uh, breathing exercise you can do, a two-minute breathing exercise. So once in a while, I try the breathing exercise. And this lady's voice comes on. And it always just sounds so goofy to me, but it's, it's good. And, and she's like, now, take deep breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth. As you're breathing deeply, begin to relax your muscles, relax your shoulders, relax your arms. Eventually, she tells me to relax my forehead. I'm like, how do I relax my forehead? I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. And I, I don't know how to relax like my face muscles. This is hard. But to relax... And so I do the breathing exercise. It's kind of goofy. But when I get done, the Fitbit watch can measure my heart rate before the breathing exercise and after the exercise. And every time I do the breathing exercise, my heart rate has gone down. The simple, deep breathing exercise have changed me. I share that because some of you need to memorize this verse and use it as a spiritual breathing exercise. The Father has lavished his great love on me. Breathe it in. And I'm a child of God. The Father has lavished his love on me, and I'm a child of God. To breathe that in, to know that that's what you can relax and you can enjoy his love. The next thing we need to do to relax is to let God handle things. How many of you have trouble letting God handle things? Yeah, it's a struggle. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's another scripture that says this. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones, Proverbs 14, 30. He wants us to relax in him and let him handle things. Way back in 1986, which was last century, it's so weird to say that, but back in 1986, I was 16 years old. Some of you remember that great year. And I was a junior at Alton High, and I just turned 16 in September there, and so the first quarter I had, uh, um, I was taking the driving class. What's the driving class called? 
driver's ed, thank you. I could not think of the word ed. The, the two-letter words always get me. Um, so I'm taking driver's ed, and if you've ever been in driver's ed, which most of you have, uh, it's videos and you're reading rules of the road book, right? So you finish the class the first quarter, and if you didn't get an A in that class, you were trying to fail, all right? It was just that easy. And then the second quarter, uh, they send me a note that I need to show up to school a half an hour early a couple days a week because I'm going to then take driving lessons. Uh, my instructor is also going to be my driving instructor. So we get to the car, and it was like those old box cars back in the, in the 80s. And he, he gives me the keys and says, okay, here you go. You can start driving. And I said, what are you talking about? I was just in a class watching movies. You want me to take over a vehicle out on the roads of Alton? He goes, don't worry. We've got the passenger brake here. Uh, we're going to be fine. And I'm thinking, we're going we're to see Jesus today, okay? It's going to be bad. So you drive around. You know when you're first driving, like you're like this, you're going really slow, you're taking turns, horrible, everything, you're stopping too soon. So after a few weeks of that, he says, okay, today we're going across the Lewis and Clark Bridge. Now th this dates us. How many of you, I'm not talking about the Lewis and Clark Bridge now that's 28 lanes wide and we have parades across it. How many of you remember the old Lewis and Clark Bridge? Uh-huh. I call that bridge the come to Jesus bridge because <laughs> you're driving across that bridge, you're probably coming to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It was so skinny that as you're driving, your left tires are hugging that yellow line, and your right tires is almost scraping on the side of that. And when a truck's coming the other way, seriously, you're like, Jesus, that was good knowing. You know what I'm saying? I'm coming. So it's white knuckles. I mean, you're not turning the radio on, one hand on, and the windows down. You're, you don't cruise across the old Lewis and Clark Bridge. You survive that bridge. So I get to the other side, and I'm like, who's going to go back? He goes, you're going to go back. I'm like, no, I'm not. This is a one-way trip for me. Just drop me off at the gas station. My parents can come pick me up. You know, I'm not doing it. We, we, you know, we survived. I got through that. But as I was thinking about uh, permanent driving, you know, in our spiritual lives, we're the permanent drivers. We're slow to respond. We're making mistakes. We're not coming to a complete stop. God is the professional driver. When we turn things over to God, we're not letting someone handle who, we're not letting someone handle it who's going to make it worse but he's going to make it better but let me pause here remember i told you at the beginning i was on this road and i was supposed to be over here and i had to go over two miles of rough road so what happens is we're doing our own thing and we realize we've messed it up and we call out to god and say god i need your help and in his mercy in his grace in his forgiveness he says i'll happily help you he comes to help us but to get us from the wrong road to the right road he's got to take us across the bumpy road and in the middle of the bumpy road, we cry out and say, God, I, I thought you were going to help me out. Why are we going through this? He says, because you were so far off track. The fastest way to get you back on track, we have to go through all this mess. And so many times, the enemy comes along and says, you don't need to be on this road again. Get back on the wrong road. At least you know that road. You're comfortable with that road. And God's like, no, don't go back to the wrong road. Hang with me. Stick with me. I'm the professional driver here. We're going to crawl across this messy, bumpy road, but I'm going to get you on the right road, and we're going to walk it out. And that's why when you talk to believers who've been through some stuff in their lives, they can tell you honestly, man, when I tried to get right with God for six months, for a year, for whatever the time, it was, it was rough. It was a mess. But then I came out on the other side, and I, I see that God was with me that whole time, and I'm in a much better spot because I stuck with God. For us to allow God to make it better, we also have to act in faith, not in fear. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. 
We have to act in faith. Now, this doesn't mean we are being false like we're putting on an act. It means to take action without knowing the exact outcome. And that's where the devil traps us. He takes us into what-if scenarios. What if I take a step of faith and it falls apart? Those fears are alleviated as you draw closer to Christ. Here's what the scripture says. Therefore, as you've received Christ, Jesus the Lord, walk in union with him, reflecting his character in the things you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin. The more you walk with Jesus, the closer you get to him. Now, I want you to think about when you go for a walk with a family member or friend. You don't have a checklist. You just start going for a walk, right? You're walking through the neighborhood, wherever. Then you can go right, left, or straight. No, let's go right. And you're walking along. And maybe you come across a house that's kind of cool, so you stop and look at the house. And then as you're walking, maybe you see a neighbor, wave hi to the neighbor. Maybe someone else has a dog, and you stop and you pet the dog. And then you make your way back home. It's very natural. It's organic. It's just, we're just going with the flow. And that's what our walk with Christ is supposed to be about. It's, it's going with the flow on a daily basis. Maybe you say, you know, Jeff, I'm in church today. That's one way I walk with Christ. It is. I'm glad you're in church. And maybe you say, I'm here every week. That's great. We should be in church because it's good for believers to get together in community to sharpen our faith. Maybe you say, I'm not here every Sunday, but every other Sunday. Okay, maybe you're only here once every five or six Sundays. Whenever you're here, I'm glad you're here. Here's a question I have for you. After you leave here, you're probably going to get some lunch, either at home or out to eat. As you're taking that last bite of food, do you say to yourself, I'm not going to eat again until next Sunday? And you say, well, that's silly, Jeff. Of course I don't say that. I'm going to have dinner tonight, then I'm going to probably eat three squares tomorrow and the next day. Jeff, I have to feed myself daily to sustain my physical self. So if you have to feed yourself daily to sustain your physical self, why do you think you can feed yourself only once a week and sustain your spiritual self? And you can't. You can't. See, some of you come here and it's like punching a clock. Here at 10, boom, had a cup of coffee, praised Jesus, heard the message, shook a few hands on the way out, punched the clock out, and then you go and you live your life and you don't think about Jesus until 10 a.m. next Sunday. And you're like, hey, me and Jesus are good. Can I be honest? You and Jesus aren't good. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. But you can't meet just one hour a week with someone and have a solid relationship. Any solid relationship that you have in your life, you talk to them more than just one hour a week. You just don't punch the clock with your best relationships. And this is what we do so many times with Jesus. And he doesn't want that. For us to act in faith and not in fear, he wants to walk with him daily. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are out preaching Jesus. And every day they go to the temple, and every day they're walking with Jesus. And finally, they're called in by the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're like, listen, we want you to stop preaching Jesus. And Peter stands up and says, listen, there's no other name by which we are saved. And you have to decide for yourself, is it right that we follow God or that we follow you? But know this, we're going to keep on preaching. And they left, and they just kept on preaching. Where do we find that kind of boldness, that kind of courage, that kind of bravery? Basically, in the face of opposition, saying, we're going to keep following Jesus. We're going to do what we're, we're going to do. Because they met with him daily. Can we be honest? The church of Jesus Christ as a whole, we're pretty weak. We're pretty anemic. We don't eat enough. We get together on Sunday, and that, and that seems like that's all we're doing. We're not spending time with him. And, and we walk around, and we're tiptoeing, because we don't want to offend anyone about anything. We don't want to trigger anyone. I'm not saying let's look to be offensive for the purpose of being offensive. 
But if you're trying to avoid triggering someone, have you read the Bible? The Bible is basically a big triggering document. You get triggered by it. Why? Well, here's the crux of it. The Bible says that every one of us, we are sinners. And we need a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And without Jesus, we spend eternity separated from God and eternity in hell. So you can't say those things out loud. I know, I just did. So you can't say those because those are triggering events. You can't say that Jesus is the only way to salvation. I didn't say that Jesus was the only way to salvation. Jesus said Jesus is the only way to salvation. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Those are his words. You can't talk about hell. We don't talk about hell. I didn't talk about hell. Jesus did. Matthew 7, 13. Narrow is the gate. Enter by that way. For wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction. Those are Jesus' words. Sermon on the Mount. He's the one that talks about destruction. You can't talk about sin. I didn't talk about sin. God talks about sin. Jesus says in Luke 19, 10, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And those that are lost are those that are sinners. We're afraid to preach basic biblical truths on the exclusivity of Jesus. We're afraid to talk about hell. We're afraid to talk about sin. So someone won't be offended. Let me say this in love. I would rather you be triggered and hear the truth of Jesus Christ than not be offended and spend eternity in hell. I'll say it again. I'd rather you be triggered and hear the truth about Jesus Christ than not be offended and spend eternity in hell. The truth of Jesus Christ normally makes us angry before it sets us free. So I want us to walk in the boldness and the courage and the bravery that Peter and John did to meet daily with him so we can act in faith and not in fear. And part of that process of meeting with him daily is to spend time in our word, spend time in prayer. And as soon as I say that, some of you are thinking, I don't have time to talk to God and read his word. And let me just say in love, you're a liar. You calling me a liar? Yeah, I'm calling you a liar. You say you don't have time? Of course you have time. How do I know? Because you have Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and Charter TV. Oh, I'm speaking to you now, right? It's getting quiet up in here. They're like, this is why we don't let this guy come once every six months. Right? Uh-huh. I'm just saying. You say you don't have time, but you spend hours not just doing business. Facebook, TikTok, YouTube videos, sports scores. The average American spends eight to ten hours a day in media consumption. You can spend 8 and 10 hours on your TV and phone, but you don't got 20 minutes for Jesus? You a liar. I'm sorry. Can we just be honest with each other? We're lying to ourselves. We've got the time. We don't want to make the time. We want to come in on Sunday and punch in and punch out and be like, I'm good with Jesus. He just doesn't want it to be our fire insurance salesman. That's not our relationship with Jesus. You know, I, I have an insurance agent, but I hardly ever think about him. I just need him when I need the insurance. And that's how we sometimes treat Jesus. Like he's a fire insurance agent. I just want to get out of hell, God. He didn't die on the cross and be raised from the dead so he could just be our fire insurance agent. He wants to walk with us daily. And so he knows you have busy schedules. He knows you got kids and school drop. He knows your schedule better than you do. So yes, he wants you to have a time where you seek him and, and pray, but you can incorporate those things in your daily routine. Do you have a drive to work? Yeah. Well, then turn off the radio and pray. Do you have a, a break? They have free Bible apps. One of them is called YouVersion. I have it on my phone. you got a break at work? Take a few minutes and read some scriptures. If you don't like to read, there's translations in the YouVersion Bible app where you can download the audio version. Just push play, and they'll read the Bible to you. Do you have time to listen to music? Well, then you probably have time to listen to worship music. And so as you spend time growing closer to Him through prayer, 
through the word, through worship, he's going to begin to move in you and build your faith. And then one day you're going to sit down, you're going to have your Bible open, your journal, and you got your song list ready to go. And he's going to say, close it all up. You're like, oh God, why am I closing it up? Like, I'm ready to go. He says, because today I need you to go down to your neighbor's house and knock on the door and ask them how they're doing. Well, that's out of my comfort zone. Might be out of your comfort zone. It's not out of Jesus' comfort zone. There might be a day when you're driving, you go by by that homeless guy, and you feel a prompting in the spirit to give him $20. I know you're thinking, well, what if they use that money for evil? Don't you think God knows what they're going to use that money for before you do? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He knows what's going to happen. And so, for all of us, can I just encourage us, can we stop trying to play the role of Holy Spirit? Because don't we try to do that? I know what's best, God. No, we don't. The role of Holy Spirit's already taken by the Holy Spirit. How about we take the role of what we're called to, which is obedient children? How many of you have kids or grandkids? Yep. Okay. You're asking them to do something, and they ask the question, why? Why? Right? Why? And you're trying to be a good parent, a good grandparent, and so you explain it to them. Well, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, but why? And then you try to give more explanations, but why? And then finally, you use those famous words, because I said so. Uh-huh. It is, it is on like Donkey Kong. Enough. I'm the adult. You're the child. This is what we're going to do. You don't get a 20-bullet PowerPoint presentation of why we're going to do chores around the house. Just pick up the trash and take it outside. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just saying, you know? Sometimes the kids will argue longer about a chore than the chore would take to do. I just want to, no, I don't want to hit my kids. Well, yes, I do, but I know that I shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And so, you know, in that whole process, we're basically saying to our children, obey. Doesn't Jesus have a right to look us in the eyes and say, stop asking why and just obey? The Holy Spirit is never going to prompt you to do something that goes against the word. Someone says, you know, I've been lying to my family and friends about my gambling addiction, but the Lord told me. No, the Lord didn't tell you. That's Satan. Let's just call, let's call it who it was, all right? That's a lie from the enemy. When the Holy Spirit prompts you, it's going to line up with the Word. But He calls us to walk in Him, not just in daily devotions, but those daily devotions lead to action. Jesus would get up early in the morning and talk to His Father, and then it would lead to action. And I want to encourage us to begin to walk daily with him. When you get up tomorrow morning, say, Jesus, what do you want to do in my life today? I don't want to punch the clock anymore for you. I want to walk daily with you so I can act in faith and not in fear. As you walk with him, you are able to reflect his character better, taking greater and greater steps of faith. And finally, exchange my perfectionism for God's peace. I love this verse in Matthew eleven twenty two thirty. 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, by religious rituals that provide no peace, and I will give you rest, refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. There's that famous song from Frozen, Let It Go, and for some of you it applies here. As you exchange perfectionism for God's peace, you need to learn to let it go. I don't know if you've ever seen a story or a video. They put a a shiny trinket in a clear bottle as a neck. And normally it might be like a raccoon's coming along and they see the shiny trinket. 
They reach their paw and they grab the shiny trinket. As they try to pull it out, they can't figure out how to get it out of the neck. And so basically all they have to do is let go of the shiny trinket and they can be on their way. But they're sitting there and they don't want to let go. And I think that describes us so many times. We've come out of the cage of sin to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ, only get caught up in our own rule keeping and perfectionism and I want to be in control and we don't want to let go of the shiny trinket and the shiny trinket is I'm in control, God. He wants us to let it go. He wants us to let it go when we realize that nobody's perfect, including you. He wants us to let it go as we enjoy his unconditional love. He wants us to let it go as we let him handle things. He wants us to let it go by acting in faith and not in fear. And finally, he wants us to let it go by exchanging perfectionism for God's peace. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then the band's going to come back out. And after our prayer time, there's going to be prayer teams down the front. And I want to say this. I understand when the prayer teams are down front, it's like, well, boy, if I come forward and someone sees me pray, what will they think about me? Most people are thinking, I probably should have gone down for prayer. We all need prayer in our lives. If there's something going on in your life, if you realize, I can't relax in God, I'm trying to do my own thing, I encourage you to meet with our prayer teams down front so we can pray that God will bring freedom. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray? Father God, I am so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that you're here to set us free and help us to relax, Father God. Help us not to go back in the cage of perfection and control and legalism, but help us to follow after you, God. And God, give us the strength today to say to you tomorrow, Father, to say to you tomorrow, Father, I just want to walk with you on a daily basis. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.